Hi, I'm JR. Hello there, I'm Lee. I am Mark. And for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Yeah, you're listening to the Blue Box Podcast. And it's brought to you by Starburst Magazine. And seeing as this is episode four, we've got a special announcement to make. <laughs> we've got a brand new member of the team. Woo! Yeah, the fourth member. Let's all say hello to Simon Brett. Hello, hello to Simon Brett. Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> How are That's... you, Simon? Good? I'm okay. I'm yeah. not too bad. I'm not quite excited. Good, we're supposed nervous, to be though. we're supposed to be talking about Doctor Who here. We are not supposed to be meeting and greeting. We've done that already. <laughs> you've had your moment, Simon. That's it. That's it, yeah. That's and if you've noticed any improvement in the sound this week, then that's entirely due to the fact that I lent Simon a machine to do it on. Yeah. And that is the only reason he's on this podcast. Because <laughs> he's got the machine. If you can hear Simon talking, he's not doing his job properly. <laughs> I know my place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, also, as it's the fourth episode, the theme this week is going to be time paradox. <sighs> time travel in Doctor Who. But yes. I have a special announcement to make, an absolute first for podcasting. We have a special guest. Oh, go on then. Yeah. Somebody yeah. who's never been on a podcast before. Right, who's that then? It's Stephen Moffat. You see the washing basket in the corner of the room? Yeah. Well, about half an hour ago, I went back to 2004 and picked him up so that he could listen in and get a few ideas for stories to write. <laughs> Does anybody know what he's talking about? <laughs> Who? <laughs> JR or Stephen Moffat? <laughs> JR, what's he on about? It's Stephen Moffat. It's the time uh, paradox. And, uh, he's listening to us talking about his stories so that uh, he can go back to 2004 and start writing them. Oh, what's the basket got to do with anything? Well, it's That's part the bit of the, that... It's sort of Talons of Wang Chiang meets the thing with Peter Davison on Doctor Who night. <laughs> I nearly broke the no swearing policy there for a minute. <laughs> I don't know what he's on about. Right, oh, anyway, we, Can uh... we get back to the subject? What, what, oh, yes, time <clears throat> paradox. Brilliant. So, listen, uh, time, why did you choose this? Because it's episode four and time is the fourth dimension. Oh, very clever. And why paradoxes in particular? Well, well not really. When I started writing for Starburst magazine, <laughs> the very first thing I wrote was an article about time paradoxes. So I Just thought, showing off, really, basically. Well, not really, because if you've read it, I'm not exactly knowledgeable on the subject. Oh, oh yes, <clears throat> I did read it. Um, it? <laughs> <laughs> and you're not going to disagree with me there? <laughs> no, I'm not. What's the time paradox thing? Come on. Oh, God. A time paradox <laughs> is when somebody from the future goes back into their own past and changes something in such a way that their future can only happen if they have changed the past themselves. Yeah. Right. Did I explain that? Kind of, yeah. I mean, it's a mind melt, basically. Yeah. It's something that actually literally can't happen. So it's a fictional trope. Yeah. That. You know, you'd think a story, a series where time travel is the central part of the concept, you'd think time paradoxes was, would happen all the time in Doctor Who. But it doesn't. Well, that's what we're here to ask. Right. Do time paradoxes happen in Doctor Who? And are they an important part of the series makeup? Is Doctor Who really about time travel or is the TARDIS just a means to an end? It's a means to an end. Well, it is. There are too many people that have too many opinions about what time is because nobody knows what it is. So therefore, when you write it in a fictional kind of world... Fictional. <laughs> I was just made up a new word. Up. I thought you weren't going to pick up on that. That's my new word, fictional um, world. Then, you know, you can, you can do what you like with it. I like it. Mark, would you like to make up a word at this juncture? <laughs> I'll give it some thought. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, in other words, no. I've got a word my sister made up, which is pumpage. Pump <laughs> which is the amount of air you put in this your This is tire. a PG-rated podcast. Yeah. <laughs> 
But that's okay because the doctor does pumpage on his console. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he does. Yeah. He has been since yeah. Stephen Moffat started writing it. At any rate, yeah, a lot of pumpage going on. Oh, you mean? <laughs> oh, you're back on David Tennant now. I thought you were talking about something else no, entirely. No, 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 no. Oh, what's he like? Uh. Okay, p- time paradoxes. That, that oh, was, by that, the way, that was my point. Yes. By the way, do you before you move on to the next subject? Okay, I'm not moving but... on to another subject. <laughs> we're staying with time paradoxes. <laughs> That's what the episode's about. It's just that there are so many thoughts about what it is that throughout Doctor Who's history they've all had a go at it so you know who's all had a go at it writers have tried to play with time and you know uh, and messing around with it but basically they've, they've all tried, tried to and they've Blinovich failed effect and all that kind of business it's just all like a pumpage really <laughs> <laughs> okay well that's that so well, well thanks for listening see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> right we've done time paradoxes then what's up next guys <laughs> we ought to talk about well we ought to talk about Stephen Moffat because Stephen Moffat is the master of the time paradox. Is he or is he not? Well, he likes using them. He certainly does. Blink, but... Blink is a huge time paradox. Well, yeah, but here's my contention. Is it really? Well, I was going to get into the whole story versus plot thing. Go on then. So, right, the difference between a plot and a story is a plot tells you what happens, but a story is who it happens to and why, and what the consequences are. I mean, you can write a plot, but it won't mean anything if you don't care about the people involved. Exactly. So the story is far more important. I mean, you can have a very successful book or film or TV series that's all about people that has no plot at all. I mean, Friends was very successful. But... (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't very good, but yeah. Ouch. But you know what I'm saying? (laughs) It's like plot, you can write as much plot as you like, but if you haven't got your audience caring about who's in it, you're not going to go anywhere with it. Okay, so basically, if you've got a great concept about time, there's no point in putting it on the screen unless you care about the characters that it happens to. Exactly. Like Father's Day. Father's Day is a great character-driven piece. Right, we'll come to Father's Day later. We'll talk about Stephen Marvin for a bit first. (laughs) Do we have to? (laughs) He does me head in. (laughs) Well, that's good. (laughs) That's good. That's what we're here to talk about. Okay. All right, what are you going to kick off with? Well, all I was going to say is Stephen Moffat has become regarded as the master of writing Doctor Who stories that are actually about time travel, time paradoxes, where... You know, time is central to the themes in the stories. But actually, I would contend that in none of his stories, time is actually central to it. They're all just embellishments on stories that are about something else entirely. Well, everybody's looking at me like I'm an idiot now. <laughs> so so <laughs> what, you're saying is, <clears throat> what you're saying is that the, the time travel aspect doesn't actually move the... the plot on the story on it just it's there it just sits for... there in the plot looking nice and giving yeah. you a little bit of magic and a little bit of comedy as well something for the audience at home particularly there's 7.9 million people who aren't doctor who fans going on forums and talking about this kind of stuff the people who probably have only ever going to see these stories once something like best example and an example that you can extrapolate all the other examples from pandorica opens big bang the end of Pandorica opens. Doctor is trapped inside the most powerful prison ever created. No way he can possibly get out. Very beginning of the next episode, he comes back in time from the future, having already escaped, to set himself free. Which is a time paradox, yes? Mm. Yeah, in fact, it's impossible. Is that explained, how he actually got out? Right, no, because it doesn't need to be. It's it a comedy moment. It's a little embellishment on the plot. 
Yeah, I mean, the the the, para, the Pandorica, Lee's right? He's rolling his eyes. <laughs> you, you can, listen, before you bang on. Right? Go on, then. <laughs> before you big bang on, too. Um, you can throw as much Back to the Future in it as possible, about you know Marty McFly crawling behind himself and trying to right wrongs, or with a mop and a fez. But how did he get out? Simply, how did he get out? Well, here's the thing. The Pandorica is the most powerful prison in the universe. <laughs> the most powerful prison ever created. Yeah, next to Sharda. If you're on the inside, but all prisons are pretty easy to get into from the outside, you just put the key in the lock. Who who puts the key in the lock? Well, actually, it's Rory, but it's the future Doctor. It's a but joke. Rory it's can't little... open the, the thing because the, doctor's t- the Doctor needs to have got out to go back in the past to tell Rory to get him out. It's yes, a cheeky exactly. little wink to the audience. Isn't it? it is. He, to, he only needs to show him getting out. You're not supposed to take it that seriously. You're <laughs> not if, supposed to. If it's good enough for Bill and Ted's. <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. that. I love that. So well, much. that's the whole point. It is a Bill and Ted moment in Doctor Who. I mean, if you look at any time paradox story, Twelve Monkeys, Terminator, La Jetée, Back to the Future, yeah. none of them can actually happen. But you need a starting point for the paradox to, to roll. You need to, if you're writing a story, you start with something, go somewhere, get, then go back on yourself, and then it becomes a loop. It becomes a paradox. Well, yeah, because what happens in a time paradox is there's a certain moment in the time paradox which becomes the beginning and the end of the loop. A time paradox only works if you're either changing something to set the paradox into motion, or else you're changing something to release the loop of the paradox like they do in Day of the Daleks. In Day of the Daleks, at the start of the story, at the start of episode one, the time paradox already exists. If the Doctor doesn't get involved in Day of the Daleks, the rebels come back from the future, blow up the minister, Styles, and set the events in motion which cause the time paradox, which cause them to come back from the future, to blow him up again. And so the loop is already existent. It's the Doctor's involvement that causes the loop to unravel and time to go back to its natural course. It's not explained, but the only reason, the only way he can involve himself in that loop is because he walks through space and time, unlike anybody else. <laughs> because no one else is going to be able to stop that paradox, are they? Story-wise well, for Doctor Who, you, anybody knows. Well, the no, is not going to walk into and go, oh, there's a paradox going on here. <laughs> well, that's Doctor Who, it. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I know. That's part of having the central character. Yeah, why, did they, why did they wait till morning to attack the minister? Because there's a bit in it where the, it was, it's night time, isn't it? When it first starts. Have you watched this recently? No. Right. I'm sure it's night time to be. And then Has anybody here watched this recently? recently? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Coming <laughs> soon to a theatre near you, Night of the Daleks. Night. Yeah. And that's, this is Terminator, isn't it? The Terminator idea. They're all Terminator. They're all La Jette, actually. La Jette. That was the first oh. one, isn't it? How, how far yeah, back was Arnie having a... cheese and wine, though, did you? Pardon? You never saw Arnie having cheese and wine. You could talk and less, right? <laughs> you right. could talk less. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way the unit soldiers crash into that place, search the entire grounds, but miss the wine cellar. <laughs> it's the first well, place you look for the doctor, isn't it? John Perry. <laughs> oh, Sorry, yeah, go on. Time paradox. What were we talking about? <laughs> I, I lost it. The continual loop. They're all the same story. That's what we were saying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Essentially, they all either start with a paradox in place or start from a position whereby you get to the paradox at the end of your story, which is what happens in the Terminator. I mean, mm. tr- thinking back, I'm trying to think, but the Terminator ends with the paradox being created, doesn't it? Yeah, there's no escape in that whole movie. From Arnie? From the future. And his 200 words of dialogue. 
<laughs> but it's inevitable that I mean I think we'll just digress quickly into Terminator I think in the last I'm film, sure if people are surely, listening to this podcast they're not going to care if we talk about the Terminator because they're all going to like it aren't they? <laughs> I hope so um, <laughs> but the last one Terminator Salvation is, it, is that what it's called so the fourth so, yeah. one the fourth one it, I it's, seen it, it's, yeah. there's war oh, I there's people killing each other it's happened so uh, you know you well, can't, you can't stop these paradoxes. They're, they're just rolling on. So they, what, my point is, in Doctor Who, luckily we've got a time lord to wander in and go, oh, there's something going on here. Let's let's stop it. Well, yeah, because Day of the Daleks is like the antithesis of the time paradox story. Most time paradox stories show you how the time paradox started in the first place. Oh, okay. Terminator ends up with, I can't remember her name, the female character, pregnant, with John Sarah Connor. Connor. Yeah, Sarah Connor, that's right. With John Connor, and that's the start of your time paradox, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I love that. That was great. So Terminator shows how the time paradox started. But Day of the Daleks is like the antithesis of that because it starts with the time paradox in place and shows you how they unravel it. That's... Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that's the sound of all of our brains. <laughs> into silence, yeah. Aching, aching brain. We weren't supposed to get into it this deeply. We were just going to have a bit of a laugh about Stephen Moffat and his <laughs> two Amy Ponds and just move on. Yeah. <clears throat> Day of the Daleks. Anybody's thoughts on Day of the Daleks anyway, just generally? Did it work as a, a story with that kind of idea in it? I liked it. Yeah. I think it's, but that's the whole point of Day of the Daleks. It's a story you can only tell the once. Because if you did a time paradox story every week, people would pretty soon cotton on to the yeah. fact that you mm. can just always go back and change things mm. if you've got a time machine. That's why Barry Letts, Terence Diggs, came up with the expression Blinovich limitation effect. So explain, they could say, explain the Blinovich again. I can't remember. Explain the Blinovich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, well, as I was just about to explain before you so rudely interrupted me. I was about to say that was Barry Letts and Terence Dix coming up with a concept that says you can't always go back and change things. And that's what they called it. It was just a made-up word that so they came up with. So you can't go back and change anything. Well, that's... that's that, that, that was their idea. See, this is the whole trouble with Doctor Who writers wanting to do stories about time. And this is where, you know, Russell T. Davis and all the others are always falling down. You know, Russell T. Davis, and I've complained about his... Uh, fixed points before and his fluid points or whatever you call them you can't do the time travel stories you use the TARDIS to get to and from places but as soon as you, as soon as you start doing time paradoxes and going back and changing things where's the end to it? There is no end that's the paradox Yeah, <laughs> it just keeps going on and on <clears throat> Yeah, Mark tell me about Day of the Daleks I love Day of the Daleks it's great I'm not a huge Pertwee fan um I struggle with him, to be honest, but it's one of his better ones, definitely. Are you a small Pertwee fan? Um, I, it's it's hard going. I'd rather sit through like a, a Hartnell rather than a Pertwee. What do you think of the Stephen Moffat stories? What, what do you think? No, or? well, more specifically, because we're talking about time paradoxes. Mm. What do you think of the fact that Stephen Moffat uses time paradoxes quite often? I think it makes a more interesting program. I think something like go back to Blink again. For me, at the time, in the lead up to it, everyone's saying, "Oh, he's he's got the poison chalice there. He's going to have to do the Doctor Light episode." But it turned and out to be and the cheap one as well, of yeah. Course. But it turned out to be one of the strongest episodes. Well, everyone seems to really like it. Um, it's my, I think it's great. I think it's certainly in the top two or three stories since mm. the series came back. Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's four of us agreeing on something there. Is that right? Yeah. That may never. Simon, what do you again. think of Blink? <laughs> 
I adore it. Ah, I that's not what it. I was expecting you to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think, is it possible not to like Blink? It's, the thing is, it's not just the story. I mean, there's certain elements in it, and certainly Sally Sparrow, I think, is the is the great missed opportunity for probably the best companion you could have ever had. Now, Sally Sparrow, she was nine and a half, wasn't it, when that story was first written? Are we all aware of the oh, fact? Yes. Oh, the, the annual. Yeah. yeah, it's adapted from the annual, isn't it? Or the Doctor mm. Who storybook, yeah. as it's more technically known. Have, have we all read it? No, I'm aware of it, but I haven't read it. Well, it's there's, been no a we- while. there's no weeping angels in the short story. It's literally just a kid uh, picking up these signals from the Doctor to go out to her garden and find the TARDIS, which is disguised in the tree or something, and send it back to pick him up. Was it written by Stephen? No, it was written by... Yes, it was written by Stephen Moffat. Yes, yeah. of course. Well, not necessarily. Yes, of course it was. He adapted <laughs> it for his own work. He could have looked at it and gone, oh, that's a good one, I'll have that. No, he could have. I don't think Stephen Moffat's really the kind of, that's a good one, I'll have that kind of a guy. Yeah. Have you ever read Continuity Errors? No. No. Right, Continuity <laughs> Errors was, prior to all the new series coming back, Stephen Moffat's only prose fiction Doctor Who, I think. It was in Short Trips 2. Mm. Right, okay. Which, I've only got the first one. Oh, right. Well, Short Trips 2, that's early 90s? or No, mid-90s. Mm. Got to be. It's BBC Books, isn't it? Yeah. So, anyway. And Stephen Moffat writes this story called Continuity Errors, where... Seventh Doctor goes into a library. I think it's Seventh Doctor. It must be, yes. Goes into a library, wants to borrow a book. Girl won't let him. So he goes back a day and uh, he goes back to the morning, does something nice for her so she's in a better mood. Then comes back and says, right, I want to borrow this book. And she says, no. So he goes back a day, does something even nicer for her, comes back and tries to borrow the book. And she says, no. And he just keeps on going further and further back doing nicer and nicer things for this girl until she says yes and lets him have the book. Right, okay. It must have been a really good book. <laughs> well, it was... <laughs> Sounds like an incredibly dull read. <laughs> well, it's... Well, in a way it is, but in a way it's Sorry, not. Stephen. It's an absolutely fascinating read now because all of Stephen Moffat's tropes that he uses in all his stories in the series now are all in this short story. I love a good trope. Well, it's a... <laughs> it's a... <laughs> Explain the word trope. Uh, it's a plot device, isn't it? So, yeah, plot yeah. device. Yeah. Right, so all of Stephen Moffat's plot devices mm. are in this story continuity area. So, you know, 15, 16 pages, you read it, and, you know, then you can turn your telly off and go and do something more useful instead and never bother with any of his but other that, stories. But that's quite worrying because the guy's the showrunner, and that's what Doctor Who wouldn't do for a book. Sorry? He, w- he wouldn't mess around with time that much for a book, would he? He wouldn't keep going back in time and just, you know, possibly crossing his own time. It might be a really time. good book. Right, the whole point of it is the book's a history book. The Doctor's got involved in this war between two races and he wants to know how to solve it, so he goes forwards in time to borrow the history book to find out how the war ends mm-hmm. so that he can go back in time and cause the war to come to an end. Right. Where are the Reapers? Well, this is the Stephen <laughs> Moffat trope. This is not Paul Cornell. <laughs> And before we get off the book subject, the whole of Shard is pretty much over trying to get hold of a particular book, so they can be quite important. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Not going to argue with you there, but we're talking about time balance. Yeah, that'll be another podcast. Books. We'll call it books. <laughs> we'll do, yeah, we'll do one called books in about, oh, I don't know, four and a half weeks. Yeah, all right. Okay, that's sorted. <laughs> right. So are we done with Day of the Daleks? Are we kind of, you know... Well, I mean, the, um, the special edition, I haven't... I haven't actually, I've only seen clips. I've not seen the. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Have yeah. you seen this? No, I haven't. I think but Mark you guys. has. 
You awesome. love it though, don't it you? It is yeah. fantastic. Quick review, mate. Uh, yeah, they've they've really gone to town on it. A, a lot of the older uh, DVDs have had special effects kind of stuck on, and it to some extent it's worked on previous ones. But this, I think they've really taken a lot of care. They've gone out and gotten a, a proper vintage camera that they would have had back at the time when they made the original. And then they've gone and spoiled it all by sticking a load of CGI oh, on top. No, I love it. I love it. See, I'm with you on the extra scenes they shot and sort mm-hmm. of crowbarred in. Fine, fair enough. But is it, I mean, the CGI, some of it's really nice. The extermination effects are really nice. Mm. But every now and again, you get this shot of the you know top of the city made out of CGI poking out of the top of a... Well, the way I look at it is very much similar to um, when you look at the old, the really olden episodes and some of the effects are a bit shoddy. You kind of gloss over that and just enjoy it for what it is and i think i'm the same with the the redux versions as well well that's fair enough you're can wrong I... but that's fair enough <laughs> <laughs> can i just ask can i just ask mark um is it the main feature with all the additions or was it an extra feature like well, it's an old... extra it's an extra you've got two yeah, versions. second disc okay so the first disc, the main disc is the original yeah creaky yeah. episode good they always do the that time it goes if the other you've way, got mm. something special edition on dvds there's only about another year of dvds <laughs> left so I don't think they're going to suddenly change it now. Yeah, wow. If you still want it with all the slightly wonky voices and three Daleks and two Ogrons, then you can still enjoy that. But what if you want the vo- What do you mean wonky voices? They changed the, the Daleks. Voices. Yeah. They did the Dalek voices wrong. What do you mean wrong? Who did them wrong? Well, they hadn't done... In 1967, they killed the Daleks off because Terry Nation was going to America, taking the concept of the Daleks with him. And so in 1972, five years later, <laughs> when they brought the Daleks back... <laughs> The guys, who ca- the guys who were uh, doing the Dalek voices couldn't remember how to do it or hadn't been involved. <laughs> <laughs> it's as simple as that. They should have watched Rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody knows that now. <laughs> but nobody knew that then. It was Roy Skelton, wasn't it? It was. Zippy. He was later. He wasn't in Day of the Daleks. He came in from Planet of the Daleks, I think. I have no idea. Somebody got a copy of the program guide. No, we're not going to stop the podcast to start checking (laughs) things up. Take it from us. Hang on a minute, I'll go back. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) in time. I feel a paradox. We could ask Stephen Moffat, but unfortunately, he's tied up in the wash basket. (laughs) (laughs) Stephen, Stephen, if you're listening, Jill Harkness, bad idea. Change gender and call her Jack. People will love you for it. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he's here for. He's taking tips. He's taking tips. I'm quite impressed with that. That was a good joke. Well done. <laughs> that was not a joke. We've got Stephen Moffat in the room. This is a first for a podcast. Nobody's ever had Stephen Moffat on a podcast before. Yeah, have they? Like, looks like a meerkat. Somebody's going to gonna write in now and tell us they have. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking well, at the wrong what thing. What were we talking about? <laughs> Dalek no voices. Idea. Okay, come on, Mark. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah, the so Dalek voice has changed or what? Who's, yeah, who's... so it'd been a while since they'd made the last Dalek story. It's back in Troughton's time. Yeah. So I think. They just kind of lost the plot. And Are you telling really... the same story I just told? Well, That's another uh, example just, of a time um, paradox. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they've, they've gone back over it and uh, they've got the fantastic Nick Briggs. He does all the voices in the new series to oh, go back and redub ah, over. Right, OK. Just, just, oh, you didn't frown at that. Just very brief. If somebody took my advice and went back and watched Rainbow to get the Dalek voices and they got it wrong... And they started doing George's <laughs> voice instead. Oh, yes. That would be a whole new program. That would be a bit special. <laughs> Somebody gonna, should do... Make a joke that's got to be on YouTube I'm somewhere, honest. hasn't it? Somebody dubbing the Daleks with, like, Zippy and Bungle. Hasn't it, George? 
Sure, Farm again has probably had a job. If if nobody's done it yet, here's your idea. Just get a load of clips of the Daleks and just dub Zippy and George and bungle over the top. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you brought it up. (laughs) I'm going to exterminate. (laughs) There we go. Simon's first and last appearance on the podcast. So oh no! Week. You've got to do your yeah. You've got to do your sea devil again now. Uh, yeah, no, uh, it, it no, will no, come. Ice warrior. Ice warrior. Sorry, rather. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't put, yeah. me, put me on the spot. It will come. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, episode fifteen of this podcast <laughs> will be a special edition <laughs> where Lee will do the entire podcast as a we'll be, as um, an ice warrior. Uh, will anyone outside the UK know Rainbow though? Probably. I don't Maybe, know. Yeah, if you don't, don't know, have you never heard of Rainbow? Do you want to explain it quickly, Simon? Rainbow kids it's program what from happens. the seventies. Oh, I thought. But isn't it like when the sun and the rain, oh. and there's like a prism effect, and that's the rainbow, is it not? The tumbleweed game. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh. oh dear. Children's program from the nineteen seventies. <laughs> two, no, three puppets, wasn't it? Well, it's two puppets: George and Zippy. A bloke dressed as a bear. And a bloke dressed as a bear. Called Bungle. Yeah, Bungle. Yes. And Rod, Jane and Freddy singing songs. Yeah. yeah. Folk tunes. And who's the guy who introduces it? Is the presenter? Jeffrey. 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 Who has just passed away, hasn't he? Has he? Is he? I think so. Oh. Did I hear oh. the other day? I may be wrong. Well, if, you, it, if, oh. if you're Jeffrey, alive, then we're very Jeffrey. sorry. Jeffrey, if you're listening, <laughs> in, in the basket sitting next to Stephen Moffat... <laughs> It's okay if he has passed. No, if he has passed away, ROP because I do like Jeffrey. Yeah, yeah and I like best. Rainbow as well. Part of my childhood. Man. Yeah, but I like Jane. Great memories. Did you? Oh yeah, Jane. Oh yeah, Jane. Jane. <laughs> <laughs> and Mark, you like the Zippy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was quite a big Zippy fan. Yeah. Lee. Uh, it's gonna have to be Bungle then, I suppose, <laughs> isn't it? Really? <laughs> yeah. oh, it's it's got to be Zippy, isn't he? He was the animal, the Muppets animal. Of the program, wasn't he? I, I just envisage Rainbow, you know, on their day off, Zippy would be a real horrible person. I mean, he's horrible anyway, but you can imagine really bossing everybody around. And, and, and you know, what's the one with the one arm, the pink hippo? What's he called? George. George, George. yeah, that's it. George, I just said that. George, you know, he's like going, oh, Zippy, don't, don't do that. And then Bungle's coming in trying to sort the fights out, and Jeffrey comes in and smacks them all. I just think that it'd, it'd be a great Jeffrey comes in and say that again. <laughs> smacks them all about. <laughs> It'd be great to see it like a soap, like Waterloo Road. Yeah. Have you ever seen the Christmas Rainbow? We're going way off yeah, topic here, but the Christmas Rainbow. There's there is a Rainbow Nasty video though, isn't there? Yeah. A... No, it's the it's the from the ITV Christmas tape. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And it's the actual. <laughs> I swore I just turned that off. It's the actual. <laughs> it's the actual Rainbow people doing just three minutes of. Total and utter sexual innuendo. Really? It's a song yeah. about strumming, isn't there? Yes. From Rod, Jane and Freddie. Okay. Well, we'll have to look that up on the uh, internet. Well, YouTube Christmas Rainbow. Rainbow Christmas Tape or something like that. You'll find it. It's hilarious. Yeah. Right. Well, and now anyway, back to the subject. The dark, yes. <laughs> time Paradox. After Rainbow Time Paradox. Well, we should talk about where Time Paradoxes in Doctor Who started. Shouldn't we? Should we? Now that yeah, we've done know. Stephen Moffat, we've done 2012, we've done 1972. Let's go all the way back to 1965. Oh, the Space Museum. Yes. Well done. Yeah. Nerd. Except it's not really, <laughs> is it? It's it's one. Of, it tries to be a time paradox. It wants to be a time paradox. And somewhere the writer is desperately, desperately trying to write this time paradox story. It gets off to a good start, and then it kind of. 
it just goes off the rails. Yeah. I love that first episode. I think it's really creepy. I think it's really weird. Uh, you know, the fact the there's no one else in it apart from the main cast. Yeah. And they see themselves at the end. It's a brilliant great cliffhanger. cliffhanger. Yeah, great. I love it. I, at, when I first saw it, I just thought, oh, this is going to be one of the best Hartnells. <laughs> and then suddenly, <laughs> seven, and, then, uh, and then a bunch of, you know. Guys with weird hairdos. Yeah. Feckless rebels. <laughs> Can't be bothered to do anything. No, rubbish. The whole thing was, was rubbish. Apart from that episode, it's brilliant as well. Yeah. It's a shame because they set themselves up for fall. Well, they did. But this is the problem. If you're going to do a time paradox story, it's an absolute must that your plot is resolved by use of time travel or by use of foreknowledge of time travel. But in the Space Museum, the plot is resolved just by them getting to the end of the story and not actually being dead. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> not like us to go off subject, but... <laughs> that sounds like so a segue me... if ever I heard one. <laughs> this business of jumping the time track. Um, How is that off topic? Well, no, no. In, in as much as, if you think about the Doctor's wife yeah. and the, the idea that the TARDIS was actually taking him where he needed to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How did the TARDIS know? Is that what you're going to ask? I don't know. No, well, no, I'm just saying, did the TARDIS know? And did the TARDIS do this neat little trick of jumping a time track to let them know that that's what might happen? Oh. I don't think you can retrospectively yes. recreate no, no, Doctor Who. It's a nice, it's a nice thought, though. That, I think that's, that, a, that's that what's known the... as a retcon. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, that's <laughs> with the emphasis on the con. Mm, yeah. No, I think you can. I think you can. That's the whole fun of Doctor Who, isn't it? And that's the fun of that episode, The Doctor's Wife, because it did. That was the, the amazing thing, because it immediately made you think really look the... at everything. Mm. Or it confirmed really... all your theories that you had already as a Doctor Who fan. Yes. Well, what it, my specific thought when they said that on that episode was that explains why The Unquiet Dead is set in Cardiff instead of Milan or wherever it was supposed to be. Because the TARDIS instinctively knew that BBC Wales were producing Doctor. <laughs> never... Doesn't that make sense? It does, yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. I think it makes perfect sense. Well, I think the answer to your question, therefore, Simon, is oh, definitely yes. Well, in that respect, then, when they made Day of the Daleks, or no, in the Day of the Daleks, the Doctor would have been taken to where they filmed Rainbow. No, in Day of the Daleks, what they were doing... <laughs> In Day of the Daleks, the people who were doing the Dalek voices said, look, guys, we don't need to get this right because 30 years in the future, they're going to revisit and use the proper guy who does the proper Dalek voices. Oh, this is true, yeah. 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 But we've got to wait for the proper guy to go back in time to tell them this so they're prepared not to do good voices in, No, in no, that's what place. the TARDIS does, isn't it? She took the Dalek voices to where they needed to be. You say this, but there's no TARDIS in that episode. Uh, yes, nice there is. It's a... got the scene at the start where the Doctor is trying to fix the thing where they didn't film the scene at the Isn't end. Isn't it nice that you call her a she now, though? Isn't that nice? The TARDIS? Yeah. Did I call her a she? You called her a she. Oh, bless. I called her a she. Oh, bless me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's La TARDIS. It's always been France. she or old girl or, you know. That's yeah, yeah that's, that's true. That's yeah. true. Yes. Yeah, received wisdom. It's all the Doctor's fault. <laughs> Can I, can There's I... a scene at the start. Yeah. They filmed a scene at the start where the Doctor and Joe are in the TARDIS console and something goes wrong and the Doctor they and Joe the... from oh, yeah, the future yeah, yeah. come in. Yeah. And oh, at the yeah. end of the story, there was supposed to be was like the scene, opposite scene where up, the Doctor work. and Joe walk in on themselves in the past. Did they? But no, because the director forgot or decided not yeah. to film it. So Which is why it doesn't work and it annoys me. But it works in the book because I'm yeah, pretty book. sure I remember Terence Dix putting it in in the book. Either that or sure you've imagined it, it and I've imagined it because I remember that as well. No, I'm pretty sure. 
Yeah. Probably a good 30 years since I've read the book. So, so basically, Stephen has, has stolen... Even though we're all only 12 years old. You're telling me Stephen didn't steal things, right? No, he absolutely steals, <laughs> just like all the best Doctor <laughs> okay, Who writers. Fair enough, then. But he's stealing from, from the, his own show, from the you know, show in the past, because you've got the bit where they both turn up, John Pertwee and uh, Katie Manning. Yeah, They turn up and they see themselves, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Exactly the same as that small... Tiny five minuter that he did, Stephen. Space and time. Yeah, you know where I'm going with this. Space and time. Oh, some people really hate the idea of space and time because the Doctor comes back into the TARDIS and shows himself what to do, exactly what he did in Time Crash, in essence. But I, for me, St- space and time was Stephen Moffat sending himself up. It's like a little joke at his own expense. Mm. It's like, I've done this time paradox and I know that it can't exist and I know the Doctor can't come back in time and rescue himself. So I've done this whole little five-minute vignette so that you can laugh at me for knowing that. I, d- I just think it's great just for the arm trick where the arm goes through the door and then... Yeah. <laughs> oh, Wait, yeah that is... I'm easily pleased. That, that is good. <laughs> you are easily pleased. The rest of us were thinking, two Amy Ponds, and you're thinking, whoa, look at the arm. Brilliant. <laughs> Exceptionally dynamic in the show now. (laughs) I think. uh, I mean, time. When it's a good job it wasn't Peter Davison, the creative (laughs) vet with his creative arm. (laughs) Oh, that'd have been messy. Um, (laughs) Talking about depends. I mean, it was two Amy Ponds. (laughs) Stop now. I can see that. Listeners, you don't want to see JR's face. He's just beaming from ear to ear. The the idea of two Amy Ponds doing something. I don't know. Anyway, um, how about Time Crash? Come on, because I like that one because it was explained. It it, it was lovely because Peter Davison came back. He's older. He's slightly wider. He's losing a bit of hair. And he just explained it in like one throwaway. It worked for me. Well, that's the thing about Doctor. You can explain anything in a single sentence. Yeah, but... I don't like it when it's explained while there's lots of explosions, loud music, mm. you know, a thousand yeah. bits of exposition yeah, in that's three seconds. Enough. You know, that's not that's not good. But okay, Time Crash was quite quite point. nice. Oh, it was nice and short and sweet and gentle and explained it and emotional. Yeah. Yes, for those <laughs> of a certain age. Yes. Clemson's. Well, even if you weren't, I think you got <laughs> it. I think you got the emotion coming off the two actors yeah. on the screen, didn't you? Yeah. So, but the. the the whole point of the time paradox in the Stephen Moffat story is summed up perfectly in that. Yes, the Tenth Doctor knows what to do because he saw the Fifth Doctor doing it. But, by the same token, without the time paradox, you could just have the Tenth Doctor working it out. Putting the time paradox in there to explain away how the situation gets sorted is an embellishment. It's like a little bit of icing on the cake. Okay, It's in stark contrast to say the five doctors where they all meet each other um and there's a complete i don't know whether they explain away a lack of memories or something like that because surely they would remember meeting each other i know that always bugged me as a kid yeah it really, really? Does bug me. even as a, yeah, as a child yeah. <laughs> well oh, a teenager. people take this program way too seriously <laughs> you know the five doctors they yes. all meet it's brilliant well apart from tom baker and william hartnell so three of them meet it's brilliant <laughs> yeah but you know they're in the they're in the capital they're in they're in you know they're on gallifrey so when it when they zip off you know bits of their memory left behind you know you can make up all kinds of things just oh, like rtd like did people say how do they all go off in the TARDIS at the end because he didn't have a TARDIS and his TARDIS didn't land there and all this kind of thing yeah, it's and like they all look oh different. you're missing the point they're oh, all going and off they're in all their flat. TARDISes they're all flat and 2D <laughs> <laughs> we've got to have something well we said this last time don't we we've got to have something like that for the 50th 
what flat tardises flying away from yeah, yeah flat packed tardises <laughs> remake the unearthly child yeah. unearthly child yes with a different actor there's two of you that are excited about this mark doesn't look excited i'm not excited about the idea of that yeah, I'm not well we'd sure better explain really what we're talking about as an experiment yeah, if please. nothing else i don't see why not <laughs> what it's are you talking simon about? thinks that for the 50th anniversary one of the things they could do to celebrate it is do a modern remake of the very first episode but not canon no 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 no, no. just as an just just as a like a little sort of you know this is what it would be like if we did it now sort of a thing yeah with another just actor. for a bit of fun not with matt smith no, no, absolutely not. Oh, I get it. Oh, I see what you mean now. Mm. Yeah, that'd be quite cool. Oh, no, it wouldn't be... BBC Four. Yeah, but whatever. It also, I was saying, it would be about 10 minutes long with today's production <laughs> techniques and <laughs> galloping through the text and what have you. That's right, yeah. But why not? They're at school, junkyard, TARDIS. Well, I tell you what, one of the things that's getting mentioned so often is almost become manifest destiny for the 50th anniversary is probably scripted by Mark Gatiss, a BBC4 90-minute dramatisation of, you know, the coming oh, yeah. together of all the... You know, how the Doctor Who started, the birth of Doctor Who. We have already mm. had that in one way, haven't we? Yes, I was thinking about that. <laughs> well, the three-minute thing on Doctor Who night it's in 99. Great. Yeah, yeah. The comedy sketch. We're going to call it Drew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think that comedy sketch insulted the, you know, the three Doctors from the 80s pretty badly yeah, yeah so I don't know if but Mark we're going to do that when we get around to them on this podcast aren't <laughs> we so we're going to you know not sure about that yeah. yet <laughs> pot and kettle kind of springs <laughs> to mind the point I was about to make is if they did a 90 minute The Birth of Doctor Who then a 10 minute segment at the end where you get a 10 minute zip through that first episode yeah that would be pretty cool that would work as part of the drama yeah, I'd say The Birth of Doctor Who mixed with Call the Midwife would be brilliant <laughs> Anyway, where did that come from? <laughs> Do- the doctor's <laughs> midwife. <laughs> yes, uh, we're on a different plane now. Um, we're talking about time paradoxes. I think we're way off mark. Oh, we're not been talking about time paradoxes for about the last <laughs> half an hour, and we've only been doing this show for about half an hour. <laughs> what about Father's Day? Come on, I want to bring that up because it's just—I love Father's Day. Father's Day is the only other example of a true time paradox in the entire forty-nine yes. years of Doctor Who. I win. I think. <laughs> I'm pretty sure on that. I mean, I mean, there are other stories like City of Death, Mordrin Undead, that yeah. bring all oh, the de- well. City of Death does, Mordrin Undead, I would argue, doesn't. Invasion of Dinosaurs, <laughs> the Golden Age, mucking around with time, taking things back and forth. Yeah, but there's no paradox in Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Hang on, what do they do? Are, are the Golden Age people taking the Earth back to when it was? They're trying to, or do are it. they taking themselves back? No, they're trying to do a paradox where they go back in time. They do, or the, they turn oh, the, the Earth, earth gets brought forwards, doesn't it? Yeah, but the, the point is, they, it, would have effectively, <laughs> it would have effectively been the same as if they had gone back in time to the start of it all. Yeah. But I, I believe they talk about rolling the Earth forwards so the past comes to them, but I'm not sure. That's right, yeah, but that would be but the effectively, paradox. Yeah, it would have been... So actually, I don't think it would have been, actually. They would have gone back in time, got eaten by dinosaurs. and. Well, that's cares. what happened at the end of the story, isn't it? Is it? In the end, just the two guys. <laughs> See, I could be writing for this. Well, at the end of the story, just the two guys get sent back in time. And so we have to take it on trust that what happens to them then is that they get eaten by dinosaurs. Ooh. And if or, they were... Or they meet Adric. <laughs> well, this is one... This is going to be a running theme, I was going <laughs> to... This was something else I was going to bring up. Eric Sayward and his travelling time paradox. Oh, gosh. Go on. So, I mean, his very first story was The Visitation. 
and the legend goes that he'd never seen Doctor Who and he uh, got, got, really? the call, got the call from John Nathan Turner to write a Doctor Who story, said to his girlfriend, never seen it, have you ever seen it? She said, oh, I saw one once, years ago. And she explained the plot of the Time Warrior to him and he essentially just wrote the Time Warrior again. But the important thing, the point I was getting to is, at the end of the story, Great Fire of London started by the aliens and the time travellers. And that became Stephen Moffat's... Uh, Stephen Moffat. Eric Sayward's... Oh, there's a bit Freudian there. That becomes <laughs> Eric Say. <laughs> that... I, I thought I was the only one who did voices. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do voices. I am voices. But Pudding Lane... Right, right but there's... It's then... not a paradox, is it? Well... It is if you consider the fact that it was a time traveller who started it. Yeah, but there's no loop. There's No, no, there's no loop. There's no complication. To well, the... no, that's the point I was about yeah, to bring up. Eric Saywood probably thought he was writing this really clever, clever yeah. but in the end it wasn't really all that clever. And just to rub insult into injury, eight weeks later he wrote Earthshock in which exactly the same thing happens again. Mm. The time travellers go back and cause the big bang that kills the dinosaurs. But do you know something? As a kid... I didn't didn't notice that. I didn't I didn't I didn't work that out. Well, that it was the same saying. thing. Yeah, I just thought it was great. Oh, <laughs> yeah, same here. But anyway, we're doing the sixth Doctor next po- podcast. So. Sorry, fifth. Is it fifth or sixth? We're doing fifth. Doing Which one are we, we doing? We are next? doing the fifth in episode <laughs> five of the Blue Box podcast. <laughs> Thank God for that. I've swatted up on the right Doctor. <laughs> Should we? Will the rest of us we'll feel t- confident t- enough to talk about Doctor Six anyway? So should we just yeah. do it just to upset Lee? No, no, no. <laughs> I, talking, I want to talk about Father's Day even more because it's. What do you, you want to talk, say about Father's well, Day? Well, because the characters you were talking about, you, there's no point in having a plot, if a, it, a paradox plot. If you don't if, care about the characters, exactly. And I, I really kept the first time I watched that, I thought, what is this? I don't want to watch, uh, you know, some kind of soap opera in my Doctor Who. This is ridiculous, and I really didn't like it. And oh. I like Paul Cornell as a writer, and I just didn't like it. Oh. I thought it was the weakest one in the entire season. I went, blah, blah, blah. Went and got the DVD out, watched it again, tear in my eye at the end, like a big, wet, soppy tea towel. Oh. oh. And then the third time I watched it. <laughs> first time. Wouldn't it be a bit the uncomfortable having a JR's big, wet, soppy tea towel in your eyes? Your eyes. <laughs> yes. The third time I watched it. I, I missed thought, that. It's genius. <laughs> go on, go on, Mark. What did you say? You I said something rude about no, me. No, nothing at all. Yeah, you'll hear it on the podcast. It's fine. We probably won't. All I'm, of thinking, us are I'm thinking of sampling it and playing it at opportune moments. It's, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned you were gradually turning into Kenneth Williams. <laughs> Very funny. Oh. I never listened back to these things anyway, so I've forgotten by the time we get to the end. But the whole, the whole episode felt like a... Sa- Do you remember Sapphire and Steel? Yeah, that yeah. was freaky. Only too well. Sammy. Lovely. Love, love Sapphire and Steel. If that was a bit more really? creepy and dark... That could have been a Sapphire and Still episode quite easily. And it didn't feel like a Doctor Who episode with, with the time paradox because it was basically weeing all over its past by bringing this wonderful Reaper in from nowhere and gobbling people up and sterilising the wound of time or whatever, the time wound, and then completely ignoring it for the rest of, <laughs> you know, For the rest now. of the series. And before. And we've never had it since either, so... No, I mean... Bit of a nonsense. And, and were the Reapers wiping out everything? Well, this is what I couldn't understand. Were they just eating away the locals? Was it like, <laughs> was it, was it like a local sterilisation? Were we talking about a universal one? Mm. But if you're going to wipe out local people, they are going to be part of the, the time you know, uh, construct or whatever. So you wipe them out, then that's going to wipe people out from the future and so on and so forth. So yes, I would imagine it's the universe. They will eat everything eventually. And they were in the church, they were the, uh, the eye of the storm, as it were. Yeah, and the church stopped them from coming in because it was a bit old. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, but see, this is Paul Cornell, isn't it? You've read Paul Cornell. What was Paul Cornell's first book? Time Worm Revelation? Was that his first? Yeah. I quite liked that at the time. And it's got a sentient church in it, hasn't it? Oh, it's not that one, but I know the one you mean. It won a Hugo Award, I think. Oh, did it? Something like that, yeah. It was rubbish. Was it? I didn't say that out loud in case anybody who's listening likes it, but I didn't like it very much. No, what was the name yeah, of the it's church? Not, it it's Samuel not, or Saul. Saul the it's church. not fashionable to say you don't like Paul Cornell, is it? <laughs> I like his TV episodes. I hate his books. Do you? Yeah, but then I've only read like two or three of them, so maybe I'm wrong. No, a few of his books are pretty good. No Future wasn't that great, but... Uh... Well, that's not one of the ones I've read. I read Human Nature, and I thought it was a rubbish book. Really? Yeah, I'm sorry I did. Stunning mm. episode. It was. Yeah. Maybe that was the best thing to happen to the book, then, to turn into an episode. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. But I was about to make the point, yes. sentient church in Time Worm Revelation. So maybe what we didn't know about Father's Day uh, is the reason why it was the eye of the storm was because that church was actually sentient. Okay, I'll go or with I'm that. Just, yeah. Am I retconning myself now? No, no, we can, we can go with that. Has it got a name, this church? <laughs> Dave? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want a fact? Charlotte. Or? I've got a... Oh... That's why he's on the podcast. Because he comes up with words like Charlotte. <laughs> Charlotte Church. Oh, God. I can't believe I had to explain that. I think this is going to go down as the most random episode ever. Don't worry, they get worse. Uh, so I've got written here. I didn't know this. Simon Pegg was slated for the part You've of got his written. dad. I didn't know that. Did anybody else know that? No. I had no idea. Well, apparently, uh, Sean Dingwall. You've uh, been downloading stuff off the internet. So some bits. I was quite interested because mm. I looked at it and I thought, oh, I never knew that. Uh, and I think... Imagine Simon Pegg being Rose's dad. I don't think it would have worked anyway. No. Sure this thing says Father's Day. This story of time fluffing. fluffing. Yeah, that was my good word. Good job you didn't Google that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> time fluffing. I've written here. This is a story of time fluffing. Um, that was that was the first line that I wrote. You wrote that? Oh, you wrote that yourself. Yeah. I was going to say, you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have found that on any professional site. <laughs> time fluffing. I think it's you were true. trying to make a point, weren't you? I oh no, don't bring remember. points into it. <laughs> I can't remember. That was a long time ago. Where's the time Simon machine? Pegg was involved somewhere along the line. Yeah, yeah, he was going to be the dad of Rose. Yeah. So, and I don't think it would have worked. He's much no. better as the editor. So, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. That he was... got bumped forwards in that episode. But then that was a little bit of a missed opportunity, really, wasn't it? So... The long game. Well, Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg. You were wasting him on a part Playing like that. Playing something, like, yeah. yeah. Playing a dead person, essentially, wasn't he? Yeah, A absolutely. zombie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In an episode that was written for the eighties, and, and I think it didn't quite work either because it was Simon Pegg. I don't know if his performance wasn't up to it. I suspect it probably wasn't quite, but you just couldn't take him really that seriously because you knew it was Simon Pegg. Mm. Mm. So it did yeah. kind of because I think the Long Game is an underrated episode, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, I probably agree on that. Right, we'll we'll do another podcast. Underrated. We'll do a podcast on maybe the ninth Doctor and maybe talk about it then. <laughs> right. We don't have that much to talk about with the ninth Doctor as it is. We got loads. I could talk a whole episode on his jacket. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> episode thirteen A of this podcast, which will not be coming out to you on iTunes, will be sixty minutes of Lee talking about Christopher Eccleston's jacket. Yeah, but what I will do is I'll talk for three minutes and then slow it down. <laughs> So you get 60 minutes of me going, Jack. 
Cricket. Leather. Mm. Right, okay, time paradoxes. Anything else to say about these guys? You've got loads of stuff written down. River there, Song. Oh, that old chestnut. mentioned her, no. We have to talk about River Song if Go we're going to talk about time paradoxes and Stephen Moffat and his mm. time paradoxes. At what point? I've got a question to ask. Everybody knows who River Song is, so we don't need to explain. I've got a question to ask. At what point does River Song have her diary filled? At what point does River mm. Song get to the position where her diary's full of stuff, where she can look and find out where she is in the Doctor's time stream? Surely. Silence of the Library. That's no, her last story. Yeah, but she doesn't write it all down then. She already has it at the start of that story. Spoilers. Haven't you got, you've got this 200 years, haven't you, that's supposed to have passed during the Impossible Astronaut, haven't you? Where you've got two versions of the Doctor and there's 200 years between them. Mm. So that he's got to fill it with something. He uh, has or she has, because she, she has. fills the diary in. But my point is, by that point, she will have lived through all the stuff he hasn't, and he will have lived through all the stuff she hasn't. So if at that point she fills the diary in, she's only filling it in with stuff that has happened to him and not to her. So she still wouldn't need to consult the diary to ask. She'd still know that it was in her, his past and her future. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, the diary... We have to kind of... You know, Stephen didn't know he was going to bring her back, I don't think, at that point. No. I just don't think he did. I don't think because he, he would have said to. he wouldn't have said things like, right, uh, my doctor's old. Well, obviously, Matt Smith wasn't. So they yeah, had to change yeah. it to old as in years, as opposed to looks. And then my doctor can click and open the TARDIS door, which is a ridiculous idea anyway. Well, yeah, um, every story after that, he should have been doing that, really, the did from he? then, shouldn't he? No. <laughs> exactly. His magic fingers stop working. But then <laughs> Stephen Moffat often does things like that. Girl <laughs> in the Fireplace, perfect example. <laughs> End of school reunion, Rose and Mickey are at each other's throats. Start of the Girl in the Fireplace, they're best pals. We've lost him. Uh, He's gone. I just, I just, <laughs> I was just thinking the I've just made the connection between the Doctor and the Fonz. <laughs> oh, what with the clicking? <laughs> with the clicking, hey. yeah. Should have been Christopher Eccleston's doctor then, surely. Yeah, definitely. With David Tennant's hair? <laughs> oh, God. Christopher Eccleston's doctor with David Tennant's hair. Somebody's got to draw that. Oh, it's Simon? Matt Smith. Matt Smith is Christopher Eccleston's doctor with David Tennant's hair, isn't he? He pretty much is. Well, there you go. We're sorted. Yeah, and what was the other thing that River said, um, you know, about the. Oh, I, I, I have to keep her, you know, um, a list. Uh, or something, or a photo album almost of all the doctors because oh, I, there are so many of you, I get confused. Oh, that's just, yeah, you know, and she's only ever met two. What's she on about? Well, I think she perhaps would have met more doctors if He'd it remember. wasn't for the fact that she's about to get written out of time altogether in episode five of the coming series. If my theory as to how Stephen Moffat resolves the whole thing is correct, I like okay. that. I like and that if theory. I'm wrong, then you're gonna really sulk. Yeah, and in episode 40 of this podcast, okay. I'll be eating my... For the people who may have skipped over the first three podcasts... <laughs> Go back and listen to podcast number one. <laughs> it's that simple. So, save, them, save them the time and tell them your idea, because I think it's a great idea. Oh, really? really yeah. good idea. Yeah. Oh, you've, uh, well, all I said was... Well, Stephen Moffat has said, essentially said that in episode five, somebody will die, mm. but everybody who's in Doctor Who has already died at least once, if not seven times. <laughs> so the only, And he also said it would be heartbreaking. Yeah, and also he has to resolve the story, and he has to have an ending whereby Amy and Rory can leave the TARDIS, and it would be a full stop. Then they won't be back in the next episode, magically, mystically, however. And also he has to address the fact that he's given them a baby that they've never looked after. I mean, what kind of a parent? And they seem really cut up about it, don't they? Yeah, exactly my point. 
Mm-hmm. So I think that in episode five, and this was virtually confirmed last week when it was announced that River Song is in episode five, is what will happen to River Song is essentially what happened to Donna Noble's meta crisis. And what will happen is the Doctor will give Amy and Rory their baby back, meaning the future River Song will have never existed and hence is dead. I really, really like the theory. Yeah. But if River Song goes back to being a baby. Yes. She then gets the ability to regenerate again. Well, here's my thing. I'm not sure whether she would. Why? Would she suddenly become human? Well, it's Stephen Moffat. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the whole fact that she It's was... like the Doctor going, isn't it? Yeah. The whole fact she was conceived in the TARDIS. Okay, that's, that's not... I don't want to go there, really. But anyway, <laughs> conceived in the TARDIS, right? And she's got special Time Lord. But she's a Time Lord because she was made in the TARDIS. What kind of ridiculous plotting well, is that? in the time vortex. They went outside hanging on to the TARDIS while they were doing it, surely. I, I think don't know. Have you ever seen Amy Pond's second episode? Because, you know, she was... It's not impossible. Well, I don't know. Very probable. But who knows how the time <laughs> vortex works? It's fiction. It's silly. It's funny. No, it's, it's not, not supposed <laughs> to be taken too seriously. No, it's real. <laughs> but the fan um, in me likes the idea that there's a baby that's going to grow up to be another Time Lord. Yeah. Around. Well, why not? You've got the Doctor's daughter kicking around as well. Still, you? yeah, I hope she comes back. But here's the thing. in If you do go with this and River Song goes back to being a baby and the future River Song never existed, who's to say that 20 years down the line, 30 years down the line, you won't have a story where somebody decides to bring back the character of River Song and it's the River Song who grew up not knowing that she was a Time Lord not knowing that she could regenerate. It's all very and she meets the Doctor, it? the <laughs> 17th Doctor or whatever. Oh, yeah, but I mean, yeah, but that's what Doctor Who <laughs> has to do now in the modern know, day and yeah, age yeah. in order to compete with the rest of television. You know, my theory, he's coming out there for the first time ever. This was, well, I was going to write an essay about this, but I'm not now. I'm going to say it in 20 seconds and it's over and done with. My theory is that Russell T. Davis, when he brought Bo- Doctor Who, Doctor Who? That's a bit of a demon's reference there. (laughs) (laughs) Five rounds rapid. When he brought Doctor Who back in 2005, his biggest influence wasn't the past of Doctor Who. It wasn't Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Star Trek or anything else. His biggest influence on the look and the feel and the shape of Doctor Who was Britain's Got Talent or Pop Idol or whatever it was called at the time. He wanted to compete with that. Mm. And he built Doctor Who so that it would resemble that but it's a fictional version. Every episode for that first series, Rose is undergoing trials, and she only gets to be in the next episode if she passes those trials. Okay, they're quite subtle sometimes, but, and you know, it's there's also the whole audience participation thing, not literally, but I mean, this is how you work wow. drama. You draw the audience into mm-hmm. your, and so you become invested in it. You become invested in the character, staying with the Doctor. And it is, each week is like, in Britain's Got Talent, each week they do a different theme. Like this week we're going to do classics of the 50s, this week we're going to do hip-hop, this week we're going to do dubstep or whatever. But, you know, in Doctor Who, also, this week we're going to do a celebrity historical, next week we're going to do farting aliens in Downing Street. It's a, you know, I was, I mean, there's a lot more to it than that, and I, I was going to go into I, it in great detail. Start, can I just, have you done an article for Starburst on this? Comparing no. it to X Factor? No, I have not. You should, because that's a great idea. As you've just blown my mind. I'm never going to be able to watch Christopher Eccleston again without thinking of the X Factor. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I hate you. Uh, <laughs> what else? I mean, 
Well, there are lots of other things we could have talked about, but we've lost that <laughs> crib sheet. Oh, no, it's there. No, no, it's there. Well, there were lots of other things we could have talked about, but we have been banging on for an hour now, so we'd probably... Well, I mean, we could quickly... There's no time limit on this thing. Let's quickly... Well, can I just ask about Last the... of the Time Lords? This was one oh, right. thing I wanted to bring up. Go on. People say Last of the Time Lords, time paradox story, right? Because the Toclophane are the future's yes. humans coming back to kill the yes. humans in the past, yes. who therefore wouldn't have. But they only kill a tenth of the population. They decimate the population. They kill oh, a tenth. That's okay then. So nine tenths still. But my point is, would that episode, Last of the Time Lords, or that whole story, Sound of Drums? Could that story still exist if the Toclophane weren't humans from the future? If it was just Daleks? If the Master just brought Daleks in and had them decimate the population? Yes. So the time paradox in that story is not only not central, it's entirely inessential. And it's an extra layer of icing on the cake. Uh, yeah, and, but it's the only, <coughs> uh, only story whereby they say to paradox at least three times. Yeah, well, yeah, the paradox machine. Now, I made that up, but I bet there's going to be somebody out there checking it. So if you do, you can always email in. And what's the email address? Oh, yeah, we have an email address now. We are blueboxpodcast at, at yahoo.co.uk. I didn't know that. I was just trying to build up a little anticipation <laughs> there, Lee. And JR's also on the Twitters as well, aren't you? Oh, if, yeah, if you want to find us on Twitter, you're probably best off looking for me, JR underscore Southall. And uh, also, you can use the hashtag blueboxpc. I was going to say hashtag blue box, but actually it turns out there already is one for something exceptionally rude, no doubt. And there's also a Facebook page as well. Yeah, just look for Blue Box Podcast on Facebook. That's the best way to get in touch with us, probably. Yeah, 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 definitely. So look for us on the old internet-y and see if you can find us. Right, we'd better call it a night and then we can move on. Mm, cup of tea time. <laughs> yeah, get the kettle on. <laughs> yeah, we're... Mark, you'd better get the kettle on you're sitting in your living room. I know my place. Yeah, you're the mate. While you're boiling the kettle, I'll take Stephen Moffat back to 2004. Oh, right. yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's enjoyed that show. All right, Stephen? Well, he's got plenty of pointers. You're going to write an episode called The Doctor, That's The right. Widow and The Wardrobe? Don't. That's because Lee's been fluffing. <laughs> and time fluff is my word, Stephen. Right, I think Fluffy waffy. Okay. Okay, then that was it from the Blue Box Podcast, episode four. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Cheers.